Well, it's good to be with you again. The last time I was here, I was speaking over on the ground in that corner, and uh, now I'm here. Jer must look ominous standing up here, right? Like I'm just this big, tanned, bald head guy, probably at least another six or seven inches higher than mine. It's, like I said, it's good to be with you. Uh, Greetings from Midtown Church. Um, I was here, I think in June last, Um, we had launched Midtown officially in January, but we had only started meeting in May and that was outside. And so lots have happened, lots of things have happened. Uh, in the in the ministry over the last six, seven, eight months. I know the same is true for you. You're always in my thoughts, um, especially when I go out on walks in the morning because I look to the North Shore and I see the mountains and I'm reminded to pray for you when I'm, when I'm walking. Uh, lots of things have happened in my life, too, personally, since we last saw each other. I had a heart attack uh, last month, February. That's a thing. Um, and I know, you know, as I've said to a lot of people, how something this good looking can have a heart attack is beyond me. And so it's a question I'm still trying to wrestle with a little bit and try to figure out. Um, but in, in all seriousness, yeah, that was an event for me and my family, but things are going well, kind of getting used to the new cocktail of drugs that I'm on and uh, just feeling some of the effects of that. And, um, but overall doing well, family as well, ministry is, is going well in spite of the challenges that all ministries have had to walk through and, and go through over these well, the last couple of years for, for most of them, for us, just the last, last year or so. You're in a series um, that's taking you up through Easter called Cries, Cries from the Cross. So if you have a Bible, take it and turn with me to Luke chapter 23. Last week, Jordan kicked this series off by leading you through um, the cry of Jesus, Father, forgive them, they, they know not what they do. Um, if... if the Christian faith is somewhat newer to you. You didn't grow up in the church. Uh, the Gospels record seven statements, what you're calling cries, from Jesus on the cross. And as I said, one of those you looked at last week. We're going to look at a second this week um, uh, where, where Christ says, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. That is found in Luke 23, verse 43. But what I would like to do is I want... I'd like to pick things up earlier, starting at verse 32 and then read through all the way to the end of uh, verse 43, and then I'll stop and and pray. Uh, Luke, under the full inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, this reminds you of last week, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him saying, he saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. 
And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Uh, let me pray uh, for us. Uh, I want to join with what um, Jordan already prayed and ask the same. Father, uh, now as we go through your word, this is your word to us. Um, you speak to us. The question, as Jordan uh, reminded us of, is do we have ears to hear today? And so I pray that we, we would, that we would prove to be good soil. Uh, I pray against distractions, uh, things that are on our agenda, maybe weeks that we've gone through that have been hard, maybe an argument that we had this morning on the way to, to gather, whatever it is. I, I pray against those distractions, even good ones. Um, that, that we would come, uh, you are here, your presence is, is here by way of your spirit, by way of the word, the spirit inspired, by way of the gathering of God's people. So speak to us, I pray, and may we receive what you have for us today and then respond to it in ways that, that glorify you and further us along in our walk with, with Jesus. And I pray for these things in, in Jesus' great name, amen. Well, I don't want to scare you today, uh, but my goal out of the text that I just read is to highlight nine things that we see in it, all right? Nine, nine things. Um, we'll get you out of here by the time that hike next week happens. Nine things that we see from this text. I'll give them to you on the front end if you like taking notes. I'm going to highlight three things we are that show up in this text. Three things we are, three things that Jesus isn't and three things heaven is. So, so those are the nine. But before going there, some background on crucifixion. Um, and forgive me if Jordan, I didn't listen to Jordan's message last, sorry about that, Jordan. I need to listen to it. So if I'm doubling down on some things that he introduced last week, um, maybe, it's, maybe it's good to hear them one more time. But I wanna talk about crucifixion because these are seven, seven cries from the cross. So what do we need to know about crucifixion and how does it sort of set things up as we start going through our text? Well, crucifixion was a form of execution that the Romans actually borrowed from the Persians, uh, the, the empire that came, came before them. Uh, the Persians believed that earth, fire, and water were sacred. And because they wanted to keep those elements sacred, they felt that that executing someone would defile those sacred elements. And so they came up with this idea of raising people up from the elements of earth and fire and, and water and impale them on a pole where they would be left to die. Well, by the time of Jesus, crucifixion was a, a favorite of the Romans, but not for sacred reasons, but for spectacle reasons. They wanted to make examples of people, of the worst of criminals, so that people wouldn't follow their example and follow in, in like manner ways. Uh, the Jewish historian Josephus, by the way, Josephus is really important um, to us. He's, he was not a follower of Jesus. He was a Jewish historian at the time of Christ, but he writes of things that are tied into the ministry of Christ or going on at the time of Christ. And so his extra biblical work is, is really important and valuable to us today. But he records that um, the Roman emperor Titus, who, who brought leadership to the overthrow of Jerusalem in AD 70, crucified so many people when he overthrew Jerusalem that no wood was left over in Jerusalem for crosses. 
At the time of Christ, the birth of Christ, about 70 years before that cataclysmic event, which it was, the overthrow of Jerusalem, Rome had already crucified, historians suggest, about 30,000 people. And so it wouldn't have been uncommon if you were alive at the time of this writing to walk by crosses that had on them dead, dead men and, and dead women. It would have been a common, common sight around Jerusalem and other, other areas. And so as we drop in on our text then, that Jesus is being treated in this way, well, he's been treated in this way like thousands who have come before him. He's been treated, he's being treated here as a common criminal who, as we read in verse 32, was being crucified with two others. Really important. What's their crime? Well, we read in Matthew's account of this, of this event that they were robbers. Um, however, the Greek word used for robbers uh, suggests that they weren't just common thieves. Uh, these were lifelong criminals. They're reprobates. They were, as some thought of them at the time, I'm sure, leading to their crucifixion. They were beyond, beyond hope. When, when piecing all of the gospel accounts together, there is a likely chance that these two thieves were accomplices of a man named Barabbas. Now, we know a lot more about Barabbas. Barabbas was a, a murderer. He was an insurrectionist. He was renowned for his treachery at the time. And therefore... The cross that Jesus was about to carry more than likely was reserved for Barabbas. Uh, we're introduced to Barabbas in Matthew 27. You can read this on the TVs to the side. In Matthew 27, we read, it's a little bit of a longer text, but it's helpful. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas, or Jesus, who was called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, which, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. And, and as I, I, I believe many of us know, if not most of us know, that exchange happened. Jesus for Barabbas, which leads to the first thing that we are. The first thing that we are is we are Barabbas. For like Jesus did with Barabbas, Jesus took our place too. The, the cross reserved for us, Jesus took as his own. As Paul writes of first importance in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 1, Jesus died for our sins. We sing the song, it was our sin, with the words, it was our sin that held him there. Here's what's interesting about the word Barabbas, or the name Barabbas. Some of you probably know this already, but Bar Abba, it means son of the father. And so what the crowd did is they 
chose a son of the Father, a notorious sinner, over the Son of the Father. It's great gospel irony, and there's a lot of irony as, as we will see as we go through this. But moving ahead in this text, if, if that's the first thing that we are, then the first thing Jesus isn't, Jesus isn't concerned with the company he keeps. That, that Jesus, if you think about the ministry life of Jesus, his three, three and a half years of earthly ministry, that Jesus is crucified in the company of criminals isn't unusual. It's appropriate. The, the most frequent accusation leveled against Jesus by his opponents was that he was a friend of sinners. But he didn't come only to befriend, he came to save. Jesus said, I, I came to seek and save the lost. But the question is, how, how does he save the lost? Well, the answer is found in the mockery of the crowd. Just listen again, I already read it, but just listen to what Luke writes just in verses 35 to 37. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him saying, he saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. One more verse. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself. How does... How does Jesus save himself? Well, this leads to the second thing Jesus isn't. Jesus isn't going to save himself. And, and why? Well, for Jesus saves other, others by not saving himself. For, for Jesus to save others, he can't save himself. This, this, sure, church, this is the gospel. For Jesus to save others, he cannot save himself. For Jesus to save others, he will not save himself. And, and therefore, the second thing that we are, if the first thing that we are are Barabbas or, or, or is Barabbas, then the second thing that we are is we are the thieves. He, he came for us. For those utterly helpless, in our sin and the weakness of our attempted self-righteousness, he came for us. He came for us. It makes sense that Jesus ends his earthly ministry hanging in between two thieves, for that's who he came for. As a man named D.A. Carson puts it, Jesus is the meeting place between God and man. That the two thieves represent you and me. In, in fact, these two thieves represent all of humanity. Let me read again, if you don't mind putting your, your eyes back in the text. Let me read verses 39. I'll pick it up there again one more time and read through the end of verse 43. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Really important two words there. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, 
remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. There, there is so much here. This is so tasty. It is so good and rich. But what I want you to see most of all, what jumps out most of all from these verses is, is the third thing that Jesus isn't. And that is Jesus isn't concerned with the quality of our faith. Nor, it seems, from these verses, is Jesus overly concerned about the quantity of our faith either. Why do I say that? What am I getting at? Well, let me read you a couple things from different accounts of what takes place here. They, they, they won't be on the screen, but you'll get the point. In Matthew's account of this event, he, he writes that, that these two criminals, as they hung on each side, he says this, that the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. The robbers, both of them. In Mark's account, he writes, those who were crucified with him also reviled him. But in our text, we only read of one of the criminals reviling Jesus. So what happened? Did, did Matthew and Mark get it wrong? Did, did Luke get it wrong? Well, again, it seems when you piece it all together and you think back to last week's message, which again is probably the best. I'll listen to it when I have a chance. But when you think about last week's text, when you think about what's going on, when you think about Matthew's gospel, Mark's gospel, and now this Luke's gospel, it seems that Jesus, having taken the place of the murderer Barabbas, now beaten, ridiculed, mocked by both of these criminals? Here's Jesus pray, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And one thief's heart was broken. And in that moment, he saw two things very clearly. He saw his guilt, very important. He saw his guilt and he saw Jesus' innocence. You can see that in verse 41. In fact, his guilt was magnified by the innocence of Jesus. And so what does he do? He cries out, Jesus, remember me. Awesome. This is the only place in all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the only place in all of the Gospels where Jesus is referred to simply as Jesus. Just here. No Jesus, son of David. No Jesus, son of God. Just Jesus. Why do I point that out? Well, I point it out because I don't think he knew much about Jesus. But what he knew was enough. And so he cried out, Jesus, remember me. <laughs> And with this cry, this lifelong criminal stole one last thing, his salvation. 
Now, when I say something like, you know, Jesus isn't really concerned about the quality and the quantity of our faith, I don't mean to be disparaging about our faith. Faith is obviously critical in the Christian experience. We are saved by grace through faith. We are commended, we are challenged to grow in our faith as we journey with Jesus. My point in making this and highlighting this is that even if you only have a mustard seed size faith, look to him. For it's not the size of our faith that's most crucial, it's who our faith is in. This man's faith, however small or large it was, and I don't think it was, he had enough faith to cry out to Jesus. And this criminal in a twinkling of an eye went from reviling Jesus to being a friend of Jesus, just like that. And very soon thereafter, <clears throat> Jesus would lay down his life for his friend. And there's no greater love than when someone lays down their life for a friend, can, can you imagine watching your Savior die right in front of you? Can you imagine? But in doing so, securing your salvation? So where are we? Well, two things we are. We're Barabbas. We're the thieves, three things that Jesus isn't. And before finishing, however, with the third thing we are, let me give you three things heaven is. Here's the first. Heaven is immediate. In response to the thief's cry, Jesus responds to him, truly I say to you, today, you will be with me in paradise. No soul sleep, right? No purgatory. Anybody have that as maybe how you grew up learning about what happens to people when they die? No purgatory. And if anybody deserved purgatory, it's a lifelong criminal. No purgatory, no soul sleep. Jesus said, today. Today you'll be with me in, in paradise. It's the immediacy of being with Jesus after death that leads Paul to, to write in a couple of different places, we would rather be away from the body and present with the Lord, for that is better by far. Do, do you know what's so wonderful uh, about this event as it basks under the, the banner of the immediacy of heaven? What's so wonderful about it is who does Jesus usher into heaven first? A, a last second repentant thief. The first one home is a lifelong criminal. The, the last shall be first. So heaven is immediate. Secondly, heaven is more, than a, more about a person than a place. Again, in verse 43, Jesus says to the, to the thief, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Not today you'll be in paradise, but today you'll be with, with me in paradise. 
Uh, I, I read this story, this is going back a few years ago, um, and this story recounts a time when doctors used to make uh, visits to homes, go home to home, seeing patients, those who were obviously sick or dying, and, and this one doctor um, used to travel on a, on a little buggy and he'd, he'd bring his dog along. And he went to visit a man who was actually terminal. He was dying. He was going to die. And the man asked the doctor, Doc, what's it going to be like? Heaven. What's it going to be like? And right at that moment, the dog started scratching on the door. And, and the doctor said to the, to the man, do you hear that? Do you, that's my dog. My, my dog's never been in your house has no idea what's on the other side of the door. He, he just knows his master's there. And, and if his master's there, it's, it's going to be okay. It's going to be better than okay. It's going to be better by far because we don't just go to paradise. We're with Jesus in paradise because heaven is more about a person than a, than a place. In, in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul famously pens, you've probably heard it before, you may have, have used the text at your wedding, but he pens the, the statement that there's faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Why? Why is love greater than faith and hope? Well, the reason is because love is the only of the three that is eternal. No longer will we need faith and in the kingdom to come because it'll be replaced by sight and no longer will we need hope because we, it will be replaced with, with certainty and reality, but there will be love and there will be love forever for we will see face to face and the face that we will look at and into the eyes of is the one who loves us most and the one who will love us forever with a love that's indescribable and we will love him in return with an eternal love. Heaven is more about a person than a place. Lastly, what is heaven? Heaven is a garden. Uh, Jesus says to the man, you will be with me in paradise. That word paradise is a, a transliteration of a of a Greek word that comes from the Persians, a, a Persian word trans, transliterated into Greek, and it was used in ancient times to speak of a king's garden. In, in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve were kicked out of the king's garden. But Paul writes in Romans 5 that we in Adam were kicked out too. Paradise was lost. But what Paul also writes in Romans 5 is that in Christ, the second Adam, the better Adam, it's, it's found again. That in Jesus, paradise is found and we in Christ enter the king's garden. Today we will be in paradise when we close our eyes for the last time. Gardens, by the, by the way, are, are a big deal in the Bible. I don't know if you know this. I, I think you probably could figure it out. Gardens are a big theme in the Bible from the very beginning. Things begin in a garden. Things end in a garden because at the end of the book of Revelation, the, the, the tree of life pops up again. But 
There are other times when gardens pop up as well. For example, and you can read this on the, on the TVs on the side, in John 19, we read that in the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had been yet been laid. So a garden pops up one more time at his death, but post-resurrection, we read this in John 20. On the first Easter Sunday, we read that Mary turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. So what do we have? Things start in the garden, things end in a garden, but in between Jesus prayed in a garden, Jesus was arrested in a garden, Jesus was laid in a garden, Jesus was thought to be a gardener who promises those who place their trust in him that one day they will forever be with him in the king's garden. Because he heaven is a garden. And, and, and what's the garden itself? Well, the answer is us. We're the garden. Jesus, the seed that dies and rises thereafter, he is the first fruits and we, we are the harvest that follows. We're the garden. At least we can be if we come to the gardener. Which leads to the last thing that we are. This is the ninth. Can you believe it? You were freaking out about half an hour ago. We, we are... We are one thief or the other. The, the question is, which thief are you? See, each thief heard and saw the same thing. But one got harder while the other got softer. A, a, a thief on his left and a thief on his right, but entirely two different responses. Now, the first criminal wanted deliverance but no salvation. While the second wanted forgiveness, but expected no, no deliverance. And so as I close and we move to a time of response, my, my question is, what, what do you want most of all? How, how do you view Jesus? Someone who exists to get you out of a jam? To, to get you out of tight places, and if he doesn't, you're really, really disappointed with him? or the one that will usher, usher you into paradise when you cry out to him. What kind of Jesus do you want? See, these are the kind of questions that Easter, Easter brings with them. And so, short church, Jesus isn't concerned about who he associates with, and Jesus isn't gonna save himself and Jesus isn't concerned about the quality and the quantity of our faith as long as our faith is directed towards him. And he heaven is immediate. And, it, and it's a person. And it's a garden. And we are Barabbas. And we are the thieves. And we are one thief or the other. The choice is yours. The choice is yours. Let me pray. 
Would you rise as we pray? Thanks. Uh, Father, I, I, I know some here. I know some of their stories, but there are many that I don't. Um, and I, I think just based on years of, of ministry that there, there have to be a few here um, that perhaps their, their view of who you are, Jesus, um, it is one where you are just get me out of hard times, Jesus. Not, not Savior Jesus. Not, not Lord Jesus. Not, not the Jesus who, who calls us to follow him and pick up our cross. And so I pray, I pray today for... Um, a time for, a time of uh, people coming to you today, being a day of salvation, or if not salvation for some, perhaps people who do have a relationship with you, but again, truth be told, um, uh, it's not one that's vibrant, it's, it's not one where obedience is being uh, lived out, it's, it's one where uh, we, we talk about a relationship, but we truly have spent a lot of time with you. I, I pray that they would come to you today, receive grace upon grace today. Um, that as we respond with the meal that, that you, Jesus, gave us, that you ordained as a, a, a meal of remembrance of your death specifically, um, that this would be a sweet time of ministry real ministry. I pray if there are people here that don't know you, that they would come to know you today, and those who do would be strengthened. Increase our love for you today, Jesus. Stir us, stir in us affections for you so that we can say along with Peter, we love Jesus even though we've never seen him with a love that's indescribable. That there would be no greater cry then come, Lord Jesus. We want to see you, Jesus. We want to be with you in paradise forever, Jesus. So may this be a sweet time of ministry for the glory of your name and for us as, as we continue to walk with you, Jesus. And I pray for these things in Jesus, your name. Amen.